I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football. I like football season all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're back and live on YouTube going through all of the NFL draft halls. Halfway through the league, Sam, we hit up the East and the West over the last couple days. Go check those out if you have not. Today, we're going to the South, AFC and NFC South, and we'll wrap it up tomorrow with the North. Mm-hmm. How you doing, man? Good. You? Great. Excited. Dandy. Yes. Uh, the draft buzz has not has not worn off. Like there's still still a lot to talk about here. Still buzzed, still buzzed, still buzzed from the draft. Man, I was I was bumping that night. I was I was ready to go. Had a little extra boost that day. A little extra push. Mm, you had a lot of caffeine in your the energy drink thing. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. And was that ready. was the sugar free one. If you had the sugar free one, the sugar full one, you yeah. would have had like 715 percent of your daily sugar I still and have, the caffeine. Still would not have slept. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a great show today. We get to talk about the Texans. I'm not going to criticize the Texans again. You're not going to criticize No, I, I mean, we'll just, we're just going to lay it all out. Here's what, here's what I think, Sam. We're just laying out the information. Just presenting facts. You can do what you want with the information. Mm-hmm. Just laying it out there for all, for all the people. So, uh, yeah, we'll talk about the Texans. We get to talk about the Falcons and Bijan all in, uh, all in the same show. Mm-hmm pretty great uh talk for a minute while i pull up uh, my western southern read real quick yeah okay <laughs> you think you think at this point you'd have that fairly well memorized since you've only said it seventeen thousand times again the, the problem is when you just read it over and over again yeah. you know and uh it's like you know staring at my my map when i drive the pff nfl podcast is sponsored by western and southern financial group while you focus on your roster moves western and southern helps advance your money moves buying your first home planning to start a family wondering how to make your money grow western and southern's playbook of life insurance investment and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you get started at westernsouthern.com pff i didn't even read it it was mostly yeah just right in there Pretty sharp here. It's like uh, when we were in college, uh, I was the only one of our house, I think, that had a car there. So I was like, you know, the chauffeur, uh, which meant that somebody else was the navigator, right? Back in the day before, like, GPS was in every car. You know, you, you needed a map or you needed someone who knew where the hell they were going. So I drove and somebody else gave me directions. But it meant that, you know, three years, four years of driving in college, I didn't learn where anything was because yeah. somebody was sitting beside me going left, right, you know, second left. So I like got to the end of four years in the same city and still didn't know how to get from like the house into the into college without somebody sitting beside me telling me how to do it because I just, you know, just sat there and drove. Somebody told me. No, I get it. Yeah. I understand. That's how I feel. We start with the uh, AFC or the NFC here. Uh, AFC. All right. Just AFC of, South. Let's do it. I already have the Texans pulled up. It's the Houston Texans. Mm-hmm. Starting with Houston, uh, it all started with C.J. Stroud at pick number two. Will Anderson, pick number three. We'll figure out how we got there in a minute. 
Uh, they go Juice Scruggs, the, uh, it's a center from, uh, from Penn State at pick 62. Tank Dell, one of our favorite picks there. Round three, pick 69. Wide receiver out of Houston. Rounded out with Dylan Horton, the edge out of TCU. Uh, Henry 2020 from Alabama. I haven't said his name a whole lot. <laughs> from Alabama in pick five. Maybe another one of those late starting center guys. You know, Jared Patterson coming out of Notre Dame. One of my favorite sleeper receivers, Xavier Hutchinson out of Iowa State. You get him in the sixth. And then Brandon Hill, Pittsburgh safety. So the Texans leading up to the draft, Sam, a lot of rumors. Will Levis going at two, and what are they going to do? Uh, th- there was a lot of rumors that they were going to go defense, right? Let's not forget, leading up to this, it was strong. They were going defense. And it was also strong that maybe Tyree Wilson, the edge out of Texas Tech, was the guy that they wanted. Turns out it was Will Anderson. So they end up doing both, right? As the draft occurred, the market went crazy for C.J. Stroud at two, so as the draft was happening, we said, okay, that's the thing we're expecting. C.J. Stroud at two. And then all of a sudden, the Texans were back on the clock again. Mm. And I remember on the broadcast, I was like, that's a mistake. That's a typo. I thought it was a typo that the Texans were back on the clock because everybody was talking about the Titans yeah. coming up to three to go get a player, a quarterback. So it was the Texans come back up from 12 to three to go get Will Anderson. They give up. Next year's first, this year's first, 12th, the 12th overall pick, the 33rd overall pick, and a third rounder next year. Uh, and they get a fourth rounder back, all to go get Will Anderson. Um, so I think we need to acknowledge the, uh, the Mike Lombardi tweet, which is a, what a lot of people are parroting about what actually happened here. We have to at least discuss that. Mm. And I would also like, by the way, to revise my comments that we made in the immediate aftermath of the first round where we talked about this on that show right at 1 30 in the morning or whatever it was you were tired yes you were tired yeah yeah i wasn't no well you were wired on like nine thousand milligrams of caffeine or whatever yeah, it was. steroid injection the yeah. whole thing Had a I, I was i was falling off at that point i was simply trying to make or trying to articulate the strangeness of look the, the models would essentially say if you're trading up it's a different value if you're doing it for a quarterback versus a different position player, right? And that's kind of silly when the difference between the two of them in Houston's case is basically arbitrary because they picked consecutively back to back. So theoretically, they could have taken the two players in either order and that would change what the model says about them. And I was basically trying to make the point that that's just silly, you know? But it doesn't really matter in this case. Like the bottom line is they traded up for one of two players. And it feels like, I was trying to think of a good analogy for this yesterday. it's like, it sort of feels like they just got greedy, you know? They were presented effectively with an either-or decision and refused. Why not both? Yeah, exactly. Just refused the premise and went, no, you know what? I'm greedy, I want both, and I'm going to make it happen. You're like, well, you can't actually afford both. You know, you don't have enough money for both of these pairs of sneakers. You're going to have to choose one. They're like, no, we're going to take out like a loan, you know? We're going to take out a loan and we're going to get both pairs of sneakers. You're like, well, the loan is a 25% you know, APR. It's going to end up costing you a lot more than the money you don't already have. And they're like, no, it doesn't matter. We're cool. We'll, we'll do it. We'll do it. So they just, I, I feel like they just got greedy. They, there was all this smoke before the draft, you know. Lance Zerline, who's pretty plugged into Houston media, was one of the first people to say, guys, they might not go QB at two. They might pass on a quarterback entirely. And everyone, you know, that started the 
ooh, are they going to come back at 12? Are they going to get the last guy remaining? Like, what are they going to do? This is, this is crazy. I, so I, there might have been fire to that smoke, but it was maybe this idea that was working the whole way that they did want one of the defensive players. And maybe that kind of got misconstrued as, well, they'll pass on a quarterback completely. So they end up selecting C.J. Shroud, which was the thing that everybody thought they would do. It very much feels like they had Bryce Young as the number one quarterback in this draft. They couldn't get Bryce Young because Lovey Smith won them a game at the, the ass end of last season and took them out of the number one overall spot. They have to settle for C.J. Stroud, who I think was probably their clear number two quarterback, but clear in both directions, you know, separated from Richardson and Levis, but also separated from Bryce Young. Uh, so they get their quarterback, and then they get greedy, and they go, no, I want both shiny pairs of sneakers. What's it going to take to get back up to number three? Yeah, so I think you know, a lot of rumors that um, Will Anderson was Nick Casario's guy and that Cal McNair, the owner, really wanted C.J. Stroud, the quarterback. So it did kind of feel like that, right, as this is happening. Yeah, it's like, all right, we'll take the quarterback, but I'm going to get my guy too. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe does... D'Amico Ryans really wanted Will Anderson as well. He wants a you know defensive player, game wrecker, and all that stuff. And if that was the owner's – this is one of the rare instances where I'm kind of on the owner's side, if that's what happened. Like, if Casario and D'Amico Ryans effectively went to the owner and said, hey – We've, uh, we've worked all this out. We've evaluated everything, and we've decided we're not going to grab a quarterback this year. I mean, if you're the owner, you're like, well, who the hell is our quarterback? Davis Mills? No, that's not acceptable. I don't care if one of these guys has a particularly low – like, I don't, I don't care that Bryce Young is the only quarterback in this class that you think is actually a franchise quarterback. Davis Mills is our starter right now. Pick somebody. Yes. Like, I am – you know, maybe there's a negotiation to be had there where you go, well, okay, look, we don't think he's any good. And the owner goes, look, okay, I'm, I'm willing to give you some reprieve if it turns out he stinks, but your option can't be pass on quarterback completely. Like, you need a plan because we don't have one right now. So they had to select a quarterback. And I think once you've selected the quarterback, you basically have to accept that that means you're passing on Will Anderson. Yeah, so I mean, we, look, we, we talk a lot about the need to draft quarterbacks. If you don't have one, you need to have one. I, I just want to add some perspective to all of this and then address the idea that the trade was for C.J. Stroud, not Will Anderson, which is an absurd premise that you, you accidentally leaned into late mm. night, but other people, uh, sober-minded, leaned into it's this. It's a very important distinction. I only reached that level of thought after... How many hours were we on live and at 1 a.m. in the morning? Oh, yeah, it was like eight hours later right. and all that stuff. Whereas yeah. other people, that's how they think most of the time. It's, exactly. That's great. I mean, you've had, some, you've had some bad podcasts late night trying to break down power and stuff like that. It's, not, it's unfair mm. having you on air yeah. that late. Right. I, I'm, I don't, I'm, uh, I, I'm not a good you know, sleep-deprived mind. I, all need, right. I need the sleep to function. Let me try to do this concisely. The importance of the quarterback, even if you don't love a C.J. Stroud. Mm-hmm. You, you just – it doesn't matter if you have an elite edge defender it, if you don't have a good quarterback. So really quick, like the most valuable edge defenders over the last few years, Micah Parsons now because we're calling him an edge with yep. Dallas, TJ Watt with the Steelers, Miles Garrett with the Browns, Joey Bosa with the Chargers, Max Crosby with the Raiders. I'm not going to use like edge defender wins or anything like that, but as great as those players are, TJ Watt cannot single-handedly carry the Steelers the way – or have the same impact as a – as a very good quarterback, right? Max Crosby certainly cannot for the Raiders. Micah Parsons can't. If they 
don't have Dak Prescott, they're not a playoff team if they have a below-average quarterback, right? So it just doesn't work. So they're, they're just not equivalents. So I, I, I kind of understand waiting on a quarterback sometimes. I, I, could, I could be swayed to wait on a quarterback. New regime, new head coach, and new owner, uh, uh, new GM, the whole thing. Maybe get a great player and then just wait. Or if you're honest and you're like, hey, we're the Texans. We actually might be picking near the top next year and Caleb Williams is coming out. Like, if you want to make that argument, that's all fine. But the stronger argument is certainly for if you don't have a quarterback, just keep drafting until you have one. And you do that in lieu of the sure thing. And let me just say, I'll say Will Anderson's a sure thing. I think he's a sure thing. I think he's up there. I, I, he might not be as elite of a pass rusher as the guys that I mentioned at edge. But I think he's in that elite player bucket. So I think that's fair. Will Anderson, I feel good about him projecting to the next level. But you have to go quarterback over Will Anderson. Now, when the Texans did both, they traded up four players, basically, for Will Anderson. Yeah, they yeah. got a fourth back. Will Anderson can never be worth four players. Just can't happen. It's, it's almost impossible. And, and even if we go back and we say, who are the actual players who were picked with those selections? It might work out every now and again. But from a process standpoint, this is like a 10% shot, 5% shot that Will Anderson is more valuable than those other four players. And that's what's risky about this. The Lombardi thing, uh, and here's his tweet, Michael Lombardi, former NFL executive, when you break down the Texans trade to three, it will be valued as, as they were trading for Anderson, when in reality they traded for Stroud. And the comp they paid represents trading for a quarterback. So trading for a quarterback, we've said forever, because, because it's an uneven payout it's unbalanced four picks for a quarterback is fine because the payout is incredible you have to make that move what's what Lombardi seems to be missing here is and when we create these draft we create these trade models and we say one of the inputs is are you trading for a quarterback if it is it changes the math it's for the opportunity to trade for a quarterback which the Texans already had in their hand they were not trading for the opportunity. I mean, because you could say, well, what if they picked Anderson 2 and Stroud 3? It doesn't matter because I would still push back and say the only way that trade makes sense is when you're trading for the opportunity to draft a quarterback that did not previously exist. And the Texans walked into this draft with the opportunity to draft a quarterback at 2, and they did so, which means the trade was very specifically for Will Anderson. And for Will Anderson to be worth it, he needs to be worth Pick 12, pick 33, next year's first, yes, which we'll talk about in a minute, and next year's third. Yeah, I mean, also, by the way, there's almost certainly the reason they picked C.J. Stroud first was specifically so that that didn't impact the trade to get back up. Like, if it, if it didn't make a difference, if they were paying that cost anyway, they could have selected Will Anderson too and then come back up for C.J. Stroud. Like, the fact that they went Stroud first and then Anderson in the trade – was almost certainly because they did not want the quarterback specter influencing the costs of what they were going to trade up to do. Like, they just got desperate, greedy, however you want to characterize it, to make that trade to get their second guy. Like, they refused to leave that guy on the table. And where it really, I think, bites is giving up the first rounder next year. Whatever about trading the farm this year to move back up and grab Will Anderson, it's still not a good idea, but you can at least construct an argument. But next year, okay, you hear this all the time. Next year's draft is better. Next year's draft. 
Next year's draft does look like it's going to be better. What did we have been have at we least been, at the top? Yes. What blue have we chips. been saying all the way through this process? There aren't blue chips. It's not deep at the top of this draft. It's not a good elite tier of players this year next year is going to be better so now look will anderson might be the cleanest prospect of this draft but we've been saying all along is he in that category of the bosas like the guys you've just articulated he needs to be for this to have any shot of being worth it no there's not really any evidence that he is in that tier he's in the tier just below those guys but giving up a first next year which at least according to futures you know vegas odds etc right now might be the number one overall pick like that, you have to factor that in. You can't look at this and say, ah, we're going to be great. We've got a quarterback. We're going to get a, a defensive stud. We're going to be picking a 25 next year. It's all going to be fine. You have to have the self-awareness to look at this and say, as of right now, this looks like we're going to be terrible again. So we're talking about giving up 12, the, you know, the extra stuff this year, and what could be the number one or number two overall pick next year to make this happen. I love Will Anderson but it's not worth it. I Did I say this on the podcast yesterday? The Somebody was resurfacing that old tweet of mine, the Chase Young thing, right? Chase Young was a better edge prospect than Will Anderson. And I was saying at the time that if Atlanta, and I forget where they were picking that year, if they were trying to trade up to number two, Washington should be falling over themselves to take that trade because of the haul that was going to be offered. There's almost no way that Chase Young is going to be worth that haul, just like there's almost no way that Will Anderson is going to be worth this haul. And yet... Washington didn't listen, and Houston went out of their way to try and make this happen. It's just, it's playing the, the wrong side of the percentages, you know? This is a, this is a deal where there, there's a clear difference in percentage terms. We're not talking about like 51-49. I don't know what the percentage is, but there's a big side over here that says, probably not going to work out for Houston and Will Anderson, and a small side over here that says, maybe it is, maybe he is that amazing. Play the big, like, just... Take the odds. So, yeah, and it's for a, it's for a Texans team. And it's, it's just interesting, right? Like Nick Casario came from New England who did the complete opposite of this for years. Mm-hmm. They understood this for years, especially uh, the old CBA where uh, top 10 picks were incredibly overvalued from a, just from a financial standpoint. It's not as egregious now. Um, but every time that happened, if the Patriots had a top 10 pick, they're like, of course we're trading down. Right. We've been blessed with this top 10 pick. We're going to trade down. So Casario comes from this place where they would trade down. I also understand a lot of Texans fans are like, Steve, Sam, you guys have been saying make a move. Come on, Casario, stop stop signing backups. This was a move. This was an aggressive move. I'll give them that. But yeah, like, this isn't what we're suggesting. Like, you're, already, you can, you're, you're giving up three potential starters for, for one at a non-quarterback position. So let me. I, I just want to add a little more context to this, and I'm definitely spending more time on this than I anticipated. But... Let like pick a random draft. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to 2021, and okay. I just want to paint a picture of like what those four picks could be from a value standpoint. So pick 12 that year. This is unfair. It's Micah Parsons. <laughs> Let's just say it's pick 13. Let's say it's Rashawn Slater. Okay. So if these picks and I in a random year were pick 13. Let's say it's pick 13, pick 33, all that stuff. You're giving up. Say Will Anderson has to equal Rashawn Slater. Uh, top pick in the second round was Tyson Campbell or say Elijah Moore, the receiver, right? Those two guys. And that's, let's say next year's pick. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They're, um, they're picking middle of the first round, not top 10. Elijah Vera Tucker, Zayvon Collins, who's become a, a bit of a miss for Arizona. They both went in the middle of the first round, Mac Jones. But I'm just looking at these non, 
quarterbacks. And then maybe a pick at the top of the, the third round. Joseph Asai, Jalen Mayfield, Andre Sisco, who's a starter. You know, it's, it's hit or miss. All right, but like add those four players up. Will Anderson has to equal, hypothetically, Rashawn Slater, starting tackle, Tyson Campbell, starting corner. Uh, who else did I mention as a starter? Elijah Vera Tucker, starting guard, and then like a miss on a third rounder. That's what he needs to equal. And in the NFL, even if Will, it, does Miles Garrett equal the value of those three players? He does not. Miles Garrett's awesome. He's a superstar. Micah Parsons is awesome. He's a superstar. They do not value, he does not have to bring the same value as those other three starters on rookie contracts that on, on a team that needs starters and will need starters a year from now, presumably. So that's just, I'm just trying to add perspective to what the Texans did and then to say, I love Will Anderson. I think he's awesome. I think he'll be a hit, but it's very risky. For the, te- but the, the I, I don't think the argument that, you know, you've been saying, Go make a move. Go do something with your haul that you got from Deshaun Watson. Like, the move was to sit where you were with three picks in the top 34 and draft three players. Remember last year, everyone was like, the Jets won the draft because they had all these top selections and they just kept picking good players at the the spot. And they end up picking defensive rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year, a guy that was a front runner for offensive rookie of the year before he wrecked his knee, and an edge rusher who didn't do much, you know, in his rookie year, but is, is... presumably part of the long-term plan there. And everyone was like, oh, the Jets won the draft. And then you had a small group of people pushing back going, well, of course they won the draft. They had all these really good, well, yeah, that's the point, right? Yeah. So once you put yourself in this position where you have like control of the draft, quote unquote, with a bunch of high picks, just don't get cute. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't do anything crazy with those picks. Just sit there and pick good players. That's what the Eagles did, right? Two first-round draft picks. And it's like, oh, what are the, are the Eagles going to do anything crazy, like trade up to number one? No. They just sat there. Okay, Jalen Carter starts to slip. They trade up one spot to get Jalen Carter, to get arguably the best player in the draft. And then they sit there at number 30, and Nolan Smith falls into their lap. They didn't get cute. They didn't try and overcomplicate it. They just sat there and took advantage of the draft with the position that they had already put themselves in. So the Texans, okay, sit there at two, draft your quarterback, fine, no problem. Then you're sitting there at 12, don't do anything crazy. Just sit at 12. You could have had, you know, Broderick Jones. You could have had uh, whatever corner, Christian Gonzalez at two. You could have, or 12. Kalijah Kansi, Jackson Smith, any of the receivers. Pick your favorite receiver. That's that's what it's going to look like a year from now. It's going to say you could have had... Right. One of those guys. And then you could also come back in the second round with 34 and pick a whole bunch of players. You know, like, the, just don't overcomplicate it. I genuinely think they just fixated on Will Anderson and were like, we can't come out of this draft without Will Anderson. And when you fixate on a player in the draft, you tend to overvalue that guy and make mistakes. Yeah, and you're going to hear they got their guy. I know people in the chat are saying, it's okay, they got their guy. They came away with their two best players. They had picks two and three. I'm just saying there's there's a history of this not working. Yes. There's a lot of data. Like this works 20 to 30% of the time, trading up multiple picks for a non-quarterback. And 20 e- to 30% of the time. And even if that guy... So this would be... I think this would be a mistake if Will Anderson was that like 100% percentile top-tier prospect that can't miss, you know, the, which Chase Young effectively was, or Nick Bosa, or whoever it is you want to pick. But like that true... Literally zero flaws, 100% sure that guy's going to be a star. I think it would still be a mistake, but he isn't. Like, he is a notable tier below 
the Chase Youngs, the Nick Boses, the Miles Garretts of the world. So you're immediately adding an extra layer of uncertainty to what is already a questionable move. It's it's just it's a mistake. I mean, I think there's almost no way that this isn't a bad move for Houston. And I love Will Anderson. Yeah, I think he's excellent. Now it's let's just, talk about the rest of their draft. Um, and, and so the, the one other piece of this is their next year's first rounder. And again, I know the Texans last year thought that they would be competitive and all that stuff. I'm not even going to predict that they've got the number two pick next year. I mean, there is you know, this world. Vegas is. I know. I mean, that's it's just the odds are slim that the Cardinals are legitimately picking Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. But with a couple blue chip quarterbacks next year, with Marvin Harrison, there are blue chip players next year. Mm-hmm. Marvin Harrison Jr. being one. I mean, there's a chance that the one pick next year is more valuable than Will Anderson. You know what I mean? Like, that's what you're – Yeah. Versus it could be Broderick Jones uh, plus Michael Mayer plus Marvin Harrison Jr., right? I'm just, I'm just painting these scenarios for, like, these three players. Forget the third round. These three players have to be stacked up on the balance sheet opposite Will Anderson. Yeah. And, you know, the other – just, again, historically, was it uh, the Bills traded up for Sammy Watkins – with the pick that Odell Beckham was taking. Right. Right. And I mean, so so you're telling me the Bills gave up Odell Beckham and other picks to go get Sammy Watkins because they got their guy, because yeah. they were overconfident in their own evaluation of one non-quarterback. It just doesn't win over time. I mean, you were saying before we went live that the difference just in terms of like value or production historically between pick number two or pick number three and pick number 12 is negligible like yeah even just even just the idea of trading up 10 spots to get to that spot like you think oh well you're definitely getting a better player at that spot but you're not necessarily historically like even just identifying the right guy to pick at number two or number three is by no means a guarantee let alone trading next year's first and everything else you have to give up to make it happen i was looking at the most conservative war projections at draft slot and basically will anderson would have to be at the bosa garrett range which is fine what let's say he will be he has to be at that range and every other draft pick has to be average or below average for it to balance out so i know i know we're getting it's dorky spreadsheet stuff but it's also like look ultimately this draft is gonna sink or swim based off whether or not cj stroud works out yeah, that's um, the truth. And look, that was the right move, I think. You just you take a shot on Stroud even sure. for all your concerns with him, and I've got concerns with him. Like, if Will Anderson becomes a superstar and C.J. Stroud is below average, the Texans are probably a below average team, yeah. right? I mean, so that's why Stroud is far more important in this whole equation. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was a lower quarterback on my board than a lot of people's. A lot of people had him as the number two quarterback. Some people had him as the number one quarterback. I think it's we don't know yet what those S two cognition scores uh, do, right? We're we're hearing sort of uh, bit part information. Obviously, the stuff that's sort of being put out there is the stuff that makes S two cognition <clears throat> look perfect. You know, like Brock Purdy is Drew Brees. We saw it coming because the S two cognition score was really good. All those kinds of things. C J Stroud is going to be a litmus test for that process whether or not it's a fair one you know it's it's one isolated case but this is a guy that reportedly scored in the 18th percentile and then took it again and scored worse that's problematic I mean it just is this thing this test is supposed to articulate measure the really important parts of how your brain processes information which is essentially quarterback play in a nutshell it is the reason that 
Dan Marino might not score well in a Wonderlick, but was a football savant on the field because the dude understood how to process information in split seconds whilst live bullets were flying all around him. Like, that's why Dan Marino is an amazing quarterback, not necessarily, you know, a genius mathematician. Um, so the Texans have put all their eggs in this basket, which they had to do. They had to pick a quarterback that C.J. Stroud's strengths offset the fact that his mental cognition, according to this S2 test, is in the bottom 20th percentile of all NFL prospects since they've been testing this thing, which is, I would be terrified of that if I was a decision maker, you know, banking on a quarterback, leading my franchise somewhere else. But that's, that's the gamble they've had to take. Remember, this is percentile against all other NFL players, NFL caliber players prospects, that have taken the yeah. test, prospects, right? So it's not like against uh, Joe Schmo down the street, Correct. but it is, uh, it is concerning. Um, I did say on the draft show, let's pretend our friend Bobby Slowick is a uh, is Kyle Shanahan light, right? He's bringing the same system that <laughs> has to be. He's going to have to be. Um, I do think Stroud. Man, is this is this unfair? Like every quarterback's good in a Shanahan system. I, if if you gave me any quarterback, I'll talk you into why the Kyle Shanahan system will make him better. The key though is like the guy executing and hitting open throws in yes. this draft that I trust as much as Bryce Young is C.J. Stroud. If and I have, think Bobby in this offense can do that. If you have a quarterback whose question marks are outside of structure, you know, working through a pro, like the stuff that Stroud is struggling with, theoretically, you want him going to that Shanahan system. Like yes. that's the strength of that system is dialing up the plays for the quarterback to paint by numbers. And then if you're really good at that, you can have an insane production. I mean, when you articulate the sort of relative strengths and weaknesses, I forget who it was, was making the point, like, aren't we just describing Jimmy Garoppolo here? A guy that if you give him the right read, you know, for receiver number one, he's great. As soon as you ask him to go beyond that, it's like, oh, now we get mistakes happening. Like, that's exactly what we're talking about here, if he is that player. So, yes, it is the right landing spot for him. And then it really does put the onus on PFF Bobby to make sure that number one's open a lot. I'll also say all this. I mean, whether you criticize or you're positive or whatever, I, I do think the Texans will be better. This year, I think the other moves that they've made, you know, adding a Dalton Schultz, I like, you know, some of the receivers that they added. I think Stroud can be reasonable as a rookie. I think they'll be better this year. You know, I think to me, this is uh, they sacrificed the future, though, with with these moves. Yeah. You know, that's what it is. And from a decision making standpoint, we hear like evaluators are so cautious to not put a, a 33 inch arm dude to tackle. Oh, no, I can't do that. Sub 33 inch. We can't put Peter Skaronsky at tackle. That's a, that's got to play the percentages. You can't do that. But then they'll make moves like this where the percentages are completely stacked against them. But it's like they're overconfidence that they're gonna they're gonna buck the system. But I think they'll be better in the short term. I think Will Anderson coming in and pairing with Jerry Hughes. You bring in Chase Winovich, Jonathan Grenard. Fine. I think they'll be better in the short term here for yeah. uh, in Houston. So I, you know the the top two players that on the, that they got. I think Stroud makes him better, and I think Anderson makes him better. Yeah, look, I, I, don't love, I don't love Stroud as a quarterback. I think that's a risk, but it's a good situation to put him in. It's probably the best move they could have made. I think the process to trade up for Will Anderson is bad. It's just it's a terrible process. Even if Anderson works out, I think they ultimately probably made themselves worse doing that relative to the alternative. But where I love this draft, they got Tank Dell in the third round. Tank Dell's awesome. Tank Dell yeah. is amazing. Tank Dell... We remember the, the narrative all the way along was if Bryce Young was 6'2", 220, we'd be talking about him as the next Trevor Lawrence, like a generational quarterback prospect, not 
you know, a guy that maybe is he better than CJ Stroud or not? Like he would be the number one guy, wouldn't even be a question. He'd be amazing. If Tank Dell weighed even 185, we'd be talking about him as a first round receiver and maybe the best wide receiver in this draft. But he doesn't. He weighs 165. Um, but he's really, really good. The dude always open, has incredible footwork, incredible quickness, has is way better at the catch point than a guy that size has any right to be, is sophisticated in terms of separating late in the play, even against physical players. I think Tank Dell is going to end up being one of the best value picks in the entire draft. Intriguing group they have there now, right? Robert Woods, they bring him over. I, I liked that move, even with the injuries and you get him kind of on the cheap. Nico Collins has emerged as a, as a solid option. You bring in Tank Dell, and then Xavier Hutchinson in the sixth round was one of my sleeper guys, mm-hmm. um, who I think can win. He can win on slants, you know, pretty good yak guy and some size. Um, and John Mechie comes back um, from the – was a cancer scare, right, last year? Yeah, leukemia. it was leukemia. Yes. So John Mechie seems like he's going to be on track for coming back. So there, there's at least – a. A bunch of guys where I think when you when you get down to that top three or four, it's a solid unit. Bring in Dalton Schultz and uh, in the new system. So there's a lot. I think there's a lot more to be excited about with the Texans offense than there has been. There was the last couple of years. Juice Scruggs, the second round pick from Penn State. He's going to project as a starter. I think he was probably I think we had him ranked lower than some of the other starting caliber centers. But um, yeah, I think he was projected to go around the fourth, fifth round. So call that a reach as far as the uh, projected uh, the consensus board goes overall the actual picks that they made I think are fine I think we gave it a B we gave it a B minus over at pff.com per Trevor and the people um, but a lot of risk there's a lot of risk with the uh, the long-term play there by the Houston Texans mm-hmm. that all fair yeah sufficient all right the Indianapolis Colts the most athletic draft in NFL history. Really was. They start with Anthony Richardson, pick four, the most athletic quarterback in NFL history. Uh, Julius Brents, the cornerback out of Kansas State in round two. Love the Josh Downs pick, wide receiver out of UNC in round three. Also love Blake Freeland, offensive tackle out of BYU, round four. Eight out of Ware, the defensive tackle slash edge out of Northwestern. Darius Rush, cornerback out of South Carolina. They're getting a lot of my guys here, Sam. Mm-hmm. Daniel Scott, another athletic player, a safety out of Cal. Will Mallory, one of your guys, a tight end mm-hmm. from Miami in round five. And uh, even Titus Leo as a uh, developmental edge who has some pass rush upside. I mean, it's uh, Jalen Jones, a cornerback out of Texas A&M. Not listing all of them. I missed a couple. But there's uh, it's a good mix. And when you add it all up, it's uh, basically some of the best athletes in this entire draft. I mean, that was this is one of the biggest sort of – theme drafts of the the entire NFL you could tell almost immediately that the Colts were really attacking athletes with their draft to the exclusion of almost anything else but they were also getting good players along the way they had nine players with a relative athletic score of nine or higher the average of the 12 picks was 9.48 so essentially the average of the of the 12 players they drafted was a super athlete and on top of that, you had players like Anthony Richardson, who had like a 10, was literally the most athletic quarterback that's ever come into the game. This was wild. I've never seen a team so laser focused in on, we want freak athletes, top to bottom, that's what we're doing. You've seen teams every now and again, you know, we're going to make a, we're going to make speed a focus of this draft, or we're going to, you know, whatever. There's like a theme of a draft, and it's generally there or thereabouts. But this was like 
complete blinkers, we are getting freak shows top to bottom. Uh, so I don't want to like overrate that either. It's not like in lieu of football playing. Right. Um, it is athleticism that shows up on the field. But I think the theme with a lot of these guys is they there's there's projection needed. Of course, it starts with the quarterback with Anthony Richardson. Um, it was interesting. Seattle, Pete Carroll. We talked about it yesterday. They were, they did all their due diligence on Anthony Richardson. Uh, they may have actually picked him at five, um, but it, it, the more the closer we got to the draft, it did feel like okay, the fit for Richardson is probably Shane Steichen and the Colts because Steichen has he's worked with Justin Herbert, but I think more importantly he worked with Jalen Hurts and built a run game around Jalen Hurts and his you know his unique skills, and so. Richardson's going to have that ability now with Steichen to be in this offense where they're probably going to build around his running ability. I think Richardson can be a 1,000-yard runner in the league if the Colts choose to do that and then just work all the misdirection and play action and everything off of that as he's developing as a passer. So, yeah, the whole class will hinge upon what Anthony Richardson does. But I think he's in a really good situation here. It was also interesting hearing Chris Ballard's thoughts where he basically said, yeah, you know, every quarterback has flaws, but we're trying to hit a grand slam, right? The, the discussions that we have on this podcast a lot that I feel are not always creeping into NFL buildings, because a lot of the quarterback discussion is, ah, is this guy going to go through his reads? Is he going to run our system? Is he, is he going to get to number two and number three? And, and those are all fine for evaluating quarterbacks. But then you hear a GM like Chris Ballard be like, I don't know. I've seen these other teams swing for the fences and develop Josh Allen and some others, and maybe that's the way to do it rather than finding the perfectly polished quarterback prospect. Yeah, Mina was talking about this uh, using Ballard's quotes, and it was, I think, a fair reflection that they've essentially looked at this landscape and probably particularly this quarterback class and said, as long as we're talking about four guys who all seem to have some kind of red flag or, or something to scare you and potentially a cap to how good they can be, why not swing? Like, we know we're in the AFC. Look at what's here already. We've got Josh Allen. We've got Joe Burrow. We've got Patrick Mahomes. We've got Justin Herbert. We've got Trevor Lawrence. Like, this is now Aaron Rodgers. Like, it's insane. What's If we get a quarterback and he tops out at, you know, Derek Carr, what good is that? You can't win with that. Like we would have to assemble the greatest roster in the NFL by a distance. And even then, all it takes is Patrick Mahomes 13 seconds and you know one brief flurry of freak show and we're done. So why not take the swing that this guy can be something special? Like literally the, the most athletic quarterback in NFL history, uh, one of the best arms we've ever seen. Let's take a shot at special. And by the way, we just hired a head coach who has shown the pathway for this to work. A guy that did this with Jalen Hurts will prop him up if needs be for a year or two and let him develop as a passer. And then year three, maybe, we're talking about a guy who's in the MVP conversation. I mean, that's literally the pathway that Jalen Hurts went on. Year one, it was bad. Year two, we gave him a shot. We propped him up in the run game. Uh, his passing performance wasn't particularly good, but the offense overall was a top 10 offense in the NFL by EPA per play because of that run game. And then year three, we're talking about him as an MVP candidate and he almost won a Super Bowl. It's the perfect landing spot for Anthony Richardson. And I absolutely endorse the logic of look at what we have to beat to win a Super Bowl right now in the AFC. 
let's swing for the fences. And maybe that involves a complete whiff. Maybe we airball it, we hit nothing, we end up face first in the dirt. Okay, at least we took the swing. Like, that's the only way to win this game is to take that swing. So they took a big swing with Richardson at four. And the rest of the draft is fascinating, right? So they've got all these great athleticism numbers, but there's a combination, I would say, of productive athletes and then projection athletes. So Julius Brents, the second-round corner out of Kansas State, we've talked about him a little bit. Similar athletic profile to Tariq Woolen, who went last year in the fifth, mm-hmm. minus the 40 time, right? The 100th percentile arm length, incredible three-cone, you know, 90th percentile in all of these athletic measures, super long corner, just didn't have the straight-line speed of Tariq Woolen. Maybe that was a mistake at the combine. Who knows? But Brent's on-field production, not nearly as good. So I think he's got to improve as a player, but he has the profile of the corner that... But it's better than Woolen's was in college. It is better than Woolen. And Woolen, the the, the one thing Woolen has going for him is he was a converted wide receiver, was young at the position, but like Julius Brent's is pretty close to the Anthony Richardson equivalent at corner. Yeah. Where the on-field production isn't there, but the payout could be incredible. I mean, so one of the big differences between Brent's and a lot of other like long corners that can run fast is six six three three cone, which is the ninety seventh percentile for all corners. Not for six foot three corners that generally can't move. It's the ninety seventh percentile for all cornerbacks. That's Kevin nuts. King did that. And it, Kevin King had some similarities there, I think. With Brent. So King didn't work out all that well, but like you got it. I think he was a second rounder for the Packers. You kind of get why at that size with those movement skills, there's some boom or bust there, but the 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 boom is is strong with Brent's. I think there's similarities with fourth rounder eight Adebuare. I was surprised that Adebuare lasted to pick 110 because the guy ran sub four five. Um, he wasn't a terrible player on the field for Northwestern. His production was kind of hit or miss given his skill set. But he was one of those guys when you put on the film too. Like I got all sorts of feels about him. Like this dude's flying around and he's uh, he's disruptive. He's just so undersized and he's he does have a tweener body. Like you talk about Kalaja Kansi and the double team stuff and everything. I mean, Adabari by single teams is getting moved mm-hmm. in the run game. But every now and again, he's knifing into the backfield. He's disruptive. So I get it from like a film standpoint. He's a question mark. But as an athletic, rotational guy who's now a fourth rounder. Right. Expectations are lower. As a fourth rounder, give me 20 to 25 snaps, go get the quarterback, be explosive. I love that Yeah, for the Colts. I mean, that's the thing. So they didn't just get great athletes. They also got great value at a bunch of these spots. They did. Got Josh yeah. Downs going to pick 79 in the third round. Yeah, that's I would have taken him in the second. I would have been fine with him in the second. I know, I, I understand he went lower, so I, there's something there. But I mean, I thought that Josh Downs was the least likely of the sort of next tier of, you know, smaller, questionable, maybe wide receivers to fall. I think that that's, the floor for him is so high, I was surprised he slipped at all relative. I mean, he 38th player on the, the PFF big board. Um, I forget where he was in the consensus one, but that's like he's a good player who I think – 34th on the consensus board almost certainly is going to be a, a very useful contributor for them they get Blake Freeland in round four who is a bit of a, a project but they don't need him to play right away so that makes sense from that Fre- kind of spot so Freeland very similar to Bernard Ryman who they picked last year in the third round mm-hmm. who uh, the model loved Ryman and after a slow start he ended up becoming a solid starter for them Freeland similar he did have good on-field production but when he did go up against good competition he kind of got whooped and when he got whooped it was really ugly so the thing I said about him, his athletic profile, Freeland, is out of this world for a tackle. Yep. Put on 20 pounds, though. 
if he puts on 20 pounds and can handle power better, like David, remember David Bakhtiari was getting beat sure. up early yeah. in his career? I'm just saying Freeland could be a really good de developmental tackle. And Will Mallory in the fifth round I really liked as well. Fifth? Sixth? Yes, fifth, fifth round. Um, I know we're going slower today. I'm just There's a lot to talk about. Mallory flashed at the – I first kind of saw him at the Combine. Like there were a few tight ends that really stood out for how they moved, how they caught the ball, how, how fluid they looked, how fast they looked. Will Mallory looked as good as those top guys in the first round in terms of how he moved, how he caught the ball. Just – looked without having seen his tape yet as a guy that immediately I wrote his name down like I need to go watch that guy and you watch his tape he's good I mean he's a really good receiver now the blocking basically isn't there at all he's he's a true uh, move tight end receiving threat um, but they already have like a bunch of athletic freak show tight ends in that building you know so Will Mallory actually has space to come in and be a designated receiver only and could easily contribute and then Evan Null the Northwestern running back um, or Evan Hull, rather, uh, he is the guy at the Combine who finished every rep with a touchdown. Remember that? Yeah. So they, they do good. the thing. They toss you a little uh, swing pass out of the backfield, and then you've got like 60 yards before you hit the end zone, and everybody like throttles down after 20 or whatever. Noel ran every single rep he did at the Combine into the end zone. And I'm like, there's a team in the NFL somewhere that now loves that guy for that. You know, just that. This guy wants to finish every rep. I love that. Apparently, it's the Colts. Good for Evan Hall. The other guy I love is Darius Rush. Yeah. I would have taken him higher, One too. One of your guys. Yeah. I mean, he's got some ugly reps on tape, too, but I think he's got as good of a, you know, press man reps as anybody in this class as well. So I think, you know, I don't know if the Colts will use him that way, but, you know, backside of trips, the way they play their cover three and all that stuff, he could be the, the Sherman guy in, you know, in their system. So I think Darius Rush, I think Daniel Scott, value safety in the five, uh, in the fifth. So they didn't just get – I mean, they li they didn't just look at workout numbers only. Sure. I, I think they got good football players too, and then they also got workout warriors who don't have great on-field production that that uh, that could project yeah, at I mean, the next level. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to make it, you know, make it seem like all they did was chase, chase athletes at the exclusion of everything else. Like, I like the players that they drafted as yeah. well. It's just that there was no more – clear theme to a team's draft this year than the Colts chasing those f absolute super athletes. So we gave them an A-plus, man. Uh, not because of the athleticism, but because they got good value, they got good players, we think, and uh, they took the right shot on Anthony Richardson. A-plus for the Colts, of course, you know, that could be a D in a couple of years if Richardson isn't good, but um, as far as process and the, the players they brought in, loved what the Colts did mm -hmm. in that draft. All right, let's go to the Jacksonville Jaguars. They started the first round by trading down a couple times, still end up getting uh, Oklahoma tackle Anton Harrison. They go tight end Brenton Strange from Penn State in round two. Tank Bigsby, the running back out of Auburn in round three. Ventrell Miller, the linebacker out of Florida in round four. A couple edges, Tyler Lacey and Yasir Abdullah, Oklahoma State, Louisville, respectively. Antonio Johnson, the safety out of Texas A&M that a lot of people had going higher couple of my favorites, Parker Washington, the wide receiver out of Penn State, and then Christian Braswell, cornerback out of Rutgers. Remember that name, Sam. Okay. He wasn't even on the consensus board. Nobody knew about Braswell. He was at like the fifth best uh, all-star game, whatever, whatever it was. <laughs> Braswell can play. He's battled injuries and all that stuff. Came from Temple. Braswell's going to play football in the NFL. Hmm. Um, a couple other late-round picks, including Derek Parrish. Your guy. We list him as an edge. He's, he's really a fullback now. Already labeled as a fullback. He was an Jets. edge in college. 
played uh, fullback. You were talking about, like, pre-draft, you were talking about him being a guy that needed to go the Sutton Smith route and become, you know, fullback in the NFL. Become a fullback, but give maybe... Edge to fullback. Yeah, but maybe give him a few reps <laughs> rushing the passer. And the funny thing is, not only is that exactly what's happening, but they basically announced it that way, you know? Like, yeah. these guys that, are, that were college wide receivers that get announced as a tight end or something, they've already made the determination. Like, it's he, happening. He could be the next uh, Nikita Whitlock. If you remember the uh, Wake Forest player for the Giants that played fullback and People. doubled as an interior pass rusher at 250 pounds, mm. Derek Parrish, with his uh, arms that are four inches shorter than the average edge, just let him rush every now and again. Mm -hmm. he, he could be named the Barbarian. He could be like the Barbarian. Derek the Barbarian Parrish? Gardeck? Yeah. He could be the next Barbarian. What did you think of this Jags draft? Um, I quite liked it, actually. Uh, Anton Harrison, I think, made sense. They traded back one pick, right? Uh, twice. They, uh, right? They traded with the Bills. Yeah, yeah. Didn't they trade twice? They traded from 24 to 20. Yeah, so they traded with the Giants because the Giants had to come right. up to get one Deontay pick Banks. To get one that, pick. And then, trade and then they traded yeah, with the gotcha. Bills. So trading back to get Anton Harrison, I think that makes sense. Harrison comes in. They, they had a need to tackle having lost Juwan Taylor. Tank Bigsby uh, in the third round is a great Thunder uh pairing to the Travis Etienne Lightning, you know, the, just a good compliment in that backfield. I like some of the picks they got late in the draft as well. I think they got a couple of, I don't want to use the term sleepers, but like guys late on that could actually make serious impacts. You already mentioned Christian Braswell. Parker Washington was a guy you really liked, the Penn yeah. State wide receiver. There's a space for him in that offense. And then Antonio Johnson in the fifth round. I don't know why, but the NFL hated the slot this year in the draft every single slot defender of any description fell I'll say I I didn't know where Anthony Antonio Johnson fit in either. and I think that's a part of him and Brian Branch I think there's a degree of uncertainty as to what you do with those guys at the next level I, I feel like it's it's not enough to over, to outweigh how good they are at doing whatever it is you're going to want them to do like do I know exactly what I would do with Brian Branch right now not really do I care no, like he's good at whatever I'm going to ask him to do. Same with like Trey Tomlinson, Travius Hodges Tomlinson. Do I know if he's strictly a slot corner or if he could actually play outside for me? No. Is he a bit of a tweener? Yeah. But he's also really good probably at both. So like why am I letting him slip to the middle of day three before I pull the trigger on that? I, the NFL this year, every single slot defender of any description and ilk slid pretty badly of all the slots Antonio Johnson I get the most because he was he played over the slot in college for Texas A&M and in a zone heavy scheme and he, he he's long and lanky and he's really not your slot body type that you trust against the shiftier route runners there he's good in vertical routes he's good at blowing up screens kind of pretty good against the run so, like, of all the slot corners that maybe have fallen, Tomlinson or whatever, Antonio Johnson I get because I really don't know where he fits because people call him a safety, and I don't know if he's good at safety. I don't know if he's good at NFL slot. Right. But I think it's good value in the fifth just to see. And I think when you look at the Jags' depth chart, they'll have Darius Williams and Tyson Campbell on the outside. Trey Herndon is supposed to be their nickel. Antonio Johnson and then Christian Braswell probably compete for legitimate playing time there as fifth and sixth-round picks. So I like that mm -hmm. quite a bit. And I loved Parker Washington, man. I, I don't know if there's a path to the field for him here. Calvin Ridley, Zay Jones, Christian Kirk. But if he's their number four wide receiver, I thought he worked the middle of the field really well. He had good body control. Um, I heard 
I didn't see this breakdown, but Trevor was saying he's got something like 95th percentile hands, but like first percentile arms, <laughs> like his arms all hand, which is, it, he does kind of look like a running back out there body wise. So it, it is a, it is a weird fit. You got to look that up for me, Yeah, but I that. like Parker Washington a lot. I mean, so when, the, when the Jags traded down and snuck a few extra picks in there, you know, I forget which picks they got specifically, huh. but some of those fifth and sixth rounders, I think, can contribute for them. That is wild. So you have he has 95th percentile hands, 10.13 inches, 0. 0.13. Uh, 10 and a, that's, t- well, yeah, it's 10 and an eighth. And an eighth, okay, that yeah. makes sense. And then arm length is the fourth percentile with 29 inches, so 95th percentile and fourth percentile. It's all hand. That's yeah. what you need catching the ball, though. Catch radius isn't great, but when you get it on him. I mean, you hear about guys that have hands like feet. He's got arms like hands. He's got those. Uh, he's got those mitts. I think Ventrell Mil- Ventrell Miller is a model guy, linebacker in the fourth out there of Florida. Uh, that's the third. Add him to Chad Muma and Devin Lloyd. They've gotten some productive linebackers over the last couple of years. So, I mean, my only question was Brenton Strange, the tight end in the second. Going where was the where's the? Did you have consensus on uh, Strange? Because uh-huh. the, the consensus board I have has him at one thirty five. And below Zach Koontz and below Schoonmaker and Tucker Craft. And there was that run on tight ends that felt very need-centric. Yeah. And I don't know if any of those tight ends are really special. But it was also... For the second round. The theme of the tight end run seemed to be, again, like the slot defenders all fell. Traditional inline tight ends seemed to all fall. He was consensus number 137, tight end 8. Yeah, I, that's the pick I didn't love. I think yeah. there was there's probably better value on the board there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, for the Jags, I think I liked some of their some of their day three stuff better than the, what they did on on day two. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, I think they their their big thing was nailing the first round pick, and then okay, didn't love the second round, but then they they hit a lot on those uh, round three onwards and day three in particular picks. Just to touch on Anton Harrison really quickly, I gave him a Charles Leno comp. Mm-hmm. On the uh, in my notes, and I mentioned that on the draft show. And for those who don't know, Charles Leno has a history of just being a very good, solid pass protector in the league, with average to below average run blocking grades. That's what Harrison probably projects as right now. I think he's got room to grow from a run blocking standpoint. Solid pass protector. I think he steps in at right tackle normally, competes with Walker Little for that spot. Cam Robinson though suspended, so at the very beginning of his career, Anton Harrison could be. The left tackle maybe eventually take over for Cam Robinson, but you know with all the other tackles going top of the first, I think the Jags getting a starting tackle in the first is good value. Getting him at twenty-seven, so uh, there you see like better pass blocking grade than than run blocking. That was pretty consistent throughout his career. He was good on true pass sets and all that. So Harrison's a good solid player. I, the, the, I just didn't love the Jags day two. Tank Bigsby's fine. Brenton Strange a little high for him. Mm-hmm. We gave the Jags a B. It's all just all felt fine, mm-hmm. right? It was all, it was all just fine in Jacksonville. All right, let's go to the Tennessee Titans. Everything fine. Where are they? Not Titans like, start. Not like the meme either, where everything's on fire. Peter Skaronsky, pick one. All right, round one, pick eleven. So they go Skaronsky in the first, and then they trade up to get QB Will Levis out of Kentucky with the thirty-third pick. Round two, they get Tajay Spears, one of our favorites, the running back out of Tulane in round three. Again, I think running back value, once you start taking him in the 80s, 90s, you're starting to get into a good spot there. Josh Wiley, big tight end out of Cincinnati in round five. Jalen Duncan, developmental tackle out of Maryland in round six. Now that's a better spot for Duncan, who had once 
at one point was rumored to go close to the first. Mm. Sixth round was actually a better spot for him. Colton Dowell, athletic wide receiver out of Tennessee. Martin, what do you think of this Titans draft, Sam? Uh, I liked it. What do, do we? I've kind of lost some of the trade, uh, the exact terms for a lot of these trades. What do they give up to go to get Will Levis? You think I have them? Yeah, right offhand. Mm-hmm. I don't have the trade. You you I do need it? a list of the trades. I yeah. have not been. I just the, over the course of the first two days, like some of the nitty gritty details of the trades have just kind of evaded me. You know, like eh, they didn't give it that much. Anyway. Well, a lot of times I, I get the first the first response to like the first uh, here's here's the first trade terms that have that right. later get updated the important part here's they gave up first round next year oh yeah uh so the titans were a team that was being talked about in the lead up to the draft as they were going to go aggressively and go get a quarterback they were going to trade up to number three they were going to go get the guy and uh they didn't they sat there at 11 they drafted Peter skoronsky who i think i've settled on the best way of describing him as He's the best offensive lineman available in this draft. The only question is, what position does he play at the next level? For Tennessee, I think that matters less than for other teams because he could upgrade either spot. If he plays tackle, great. Nicholas Petit-Frere has not done anything to you know, deserve keeping that job long-term unless he improves significantly. And if he plays guard, fine. You have a needed guard as well. So for Tennessee, it doesn't matter as much, even if obviously it affects the value of where you should draft him. Uh, in the NFL, you know, in the first round. But number 11 is fine. Like, even if he is a guard only, like, only. 11 is good. They, they they drafted the best offensive lineman in the NFL after offensive lineman had already been taken. That's a really good pick for them. I think that's great. They didn't reach on a quarterback. They didn't chase one. They didn't grab uh, the fourth guy on the board at number 11. They stayed disciplined, I guess. And the, the benefit of that is they were able to be the team that stopped the slide of Will Levis and grab him in the second round, and uh, what was our – we got the compensation here. Uh, Will Levis goes pick 33, so the, the second pick of the second round. Yeah, so this was the one where I think I ran this into the calculator at the time, and it actually said that Tennessee won the trade. Like, in was addition, this with Minnesota? No, with Arizona. With Arizona, so yeah. So it but- cost them th- 33 and – or sorry, uh, it cost them 41 and number 81 to get to 33, and they also got uh, 72. Or no, this, they, okay, something was missing again. here because with the first time you got the terms, it was like they moved up. No, and- it still doesn't make sense. So they moved up from 41 to 33, and it cost them uh, number 72 to do that. But they also got 81 back, which, if you run it through the calculator, actually says they won that deal. Well, yeah, because if they moved up eight or nine spots in round two and then moved down eight or nine spots in round three, that doesn't make sense for exactly. anything. So, There's something missing there. Theoretically. There's something missing in that trade. I mean, that's Eli in the booth there said he's taking it from the athletic. So if it's wrong, it's them goofing, not us. I, I've anyway. seen it reported. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it reported like that. That doesn't make any sense well, that's, whatsoever. I think that's why I've, I've jettisoned it from my brain because the point being, it basically didn't cost them anything to move up to get Will Levis in the second round. Like, it's not like they sacrificed anything down the line to make that happen. In fact, if you look, if you run that through a calculator, it says they benefited from trading up Can, to get Will Levis. Man, poor Will was left in the green room. Can we just stop with the green room stuff? Like, the Rodgers thing ended up becoming four guys. Im- four guys were left in there. Not like, I mean, invite the guys to the green room and all that stuff. But if they don't get picked, you like this is not. It's a non-story unless He's the networks make it into one. Yeah. It's a non-story. Yeah. Fringe, fringe first round, a uh, first round player. Yeah, yes. yeah. We thought we I'm thought Levis can't say fringe first round player. Levis was thought to go top ten, maybe yes. even top five. I get it. 
I'm saying you turn this into a much bigger story when you're just staring at him the whole time, keeping it on him, like, oh, what's his girlfriend thing? What's his mom doing? What's his facial expression? How big is his back now after all of his lifting and whatever else he's doing? I mean, just okay, don't make go. it into a massive story. That's the part that makes it make sense. They also gave up a third rounder in 2024. There you go. So that's how they, they lose the trade, not win it. Um, well, I mean, and it's still fine. Like, yeah, trade up for a quarterback. It's, it's worth it. Essentially, so, it's cost them a third-round pick next year to get Will Levis this year. This so. felt more like the Geno Smith slide to me. You know, he's supposed to go in the first. Um, it, so, at the end of the day, it was probably fine that he went in the second. Like, if we were being honest, I mean, I would be okay with Levis. I mean, I would take him in the first. I would take the shot in the first because I take shots on quarterbacks. But, like, him going at 33, I think ends up being okay. I mean, look, I think it's great for Tennessee. Um, I think it's great for Will Levis. I, I think that's a perfect landing spot for him where he can go there, be their quarterback of the future. There's a pathway to playing time for him when they move on from Ryan Tannehill and he doesn't come in with the immediate expectations of this guy's a superstar, he's got to play right away, and if he's not good right away, you've got trouble. So I think it's a great spot for either side. The one point I think is worth making that I don't think Will Levis going number 33 is necessarily an indication that the entire NFL viewed this as Will Levis is way worse than the other three. The Indianapolis Colts were saying that Will Levis was like the backup option. He was the next guy for them after Anthony Richardson. And I think ultimately he just wound up being the guy without a chair when the music stopped. Like once the first two guys are gone, one, two, and then Richardson goes to the Colts, now we've run out of teams that really want that quarterback at the top of the draft yeah. or the teams that were left simply didn't like Levis. It doesn't, I think, necessarily mean that the entire league viewed him as being this next tier down from everybody else. I think he just basically ended up being the unlucky guy where the draft unfolded in a way that screwed him effectively. Uh, yeah, I mean, just supply and demand, man. Because I mean, we talked a lot about the Raiders. Because we think differently, we were like, oh, the Raiders, of course they're in the quarterback market. Right. And that's not even thinking. I mean, they were. But I think they were for like one or two guys. Yeah. Right? They tried to trade up to one. They would have taken Bryce Young. But they're like, oh, no, we're good. Which we've that. been saying all along, right? The NFL is not going to treat this as a, a, a monolith. It's not everybody looking at this going, there's the big four quarterbacks and we've got to get one. Teams are going to be looking at this and saying, this is a one quarterback strong class. It's a two quarterback strong class. And they're going to be thinking about different quarterbacks. The Colts, apparently, they're one, two was Richardson Levis because they were looking at who's got the highest ceiling, who can be, the, who, who's the swing for the fences guy. And then other teams, it's like it's Bryce Young and then I'm out. Um, so I, I don't think that his slide necessarily reflects this idea that Will Levis is seen as this, you know, secondary prospect relative to the other two. But once he did slide, I think going to Tennessee is the best situation that he could have landed in because he gets past that point where he's, you know, a guaranteed day one starter but he ends up with a pathway through to playing time if he shows that he is a quarterback that can be successful. And the offense that Tennessee has been running is exactly the one you would want to put him in in terms of maximizing what he does well. So what do you think this means here? And again, you know, like they, they took Malik Willis in the, was it the third last yeah. year? Third round, right? Um, great. It's still not a wasted pick. Took a shot at Malik no, Willis. Probably absolutely. didn't work out. Maybe, maybe you trade him for a fifth or a sixth or whatever, and then you just move on. But you keep taking shots at quarterback – I think Ryan Tannehill is probably still the starter yeah. this year. You know, of all the situations, like Will Levis is the Titans' backup, and so then I think Tannehill's got one year left on his deal, and Levis takes over in twenty-four. I think he, see it what was, he does. See what he has. I think it was Mike Vrabel who said they're going to start off. Ryan Tannehill's the starter. 
Malik Willis is the backup. Will Levis is QB3. And yeah. he's told the quarterbacks that what happens from that point on is down to them. So essentially, that's the starting order. This is how you were ordered as of now. I mean, this is every coach, and right? If you want to move up and down the list, show us. As I was listening to all the press conferences, it's like, uh, what would you like about this guy? Well, I love, I love about this, and I love his length, and I love these other things. And then, and then they'd always be like, well, but of course, like any other prospect, he's got to come in and earn it, you know? We don't just hand jobs out here at this organization. We don't. You got to earn it. You got to come in and earn it. What? Nothing. This was every press conference. I, I am aware of that. What's so funny? You, I, nothing. <laughs> what did I say? You said a funny sequence of words together that just, you know. You oh, I don't even know what I said. Childish disposition like me. You I will not. Funny. Oh, jeez. <laughs> we don't give yeah. jobs away. Uh-huh. Yeah. We don't give jobs away. Don't. Don't do it. We get back to the Titans draft here. Skaronsky's good. Will Levis was worth a shot. And Tajay Spears is one of the better running backs in this class. Love Tajay Spears. to give uh, Derek Henry a little break. Absolutely love that guy. I think he's got insane talent. Um, Just really makes everything look smooth and easy. I think he could be really successful in the NFL. And then, you know, a guy like Jalen Duncan, sixth round is where you take a developmental tackle that's got athleticism and doesn't play well right now. Perfect, (laughs) you know? Perfect. Keep an eye on Josh Wiley, the Cincinnati tight end. Did the model end up liking him? We liked him at one point. Yeah. It's a good pick. Good pick in the fifth. Perfect. Titans draft overall. We give it an A. Yeah, I really like it. I mean, I think, look, not reaching on a quarterback in round one is important. Coming back, grabbing Will Levis, like still getting a guy that people, that was, if they'd done it, if they'd taken Will Levis at number 11, nobody would have criticized that. It would have been seen as a good pick. They got a quarterback. They grabbed him, and they didn't. They didn't go up to number three. Like they would have been getting praised for not jumping to three to draft a quarterback and sticking at number eleven and taking one instead. They end up getting Peter Skaronsky, the best offensive lineman in the draft, and still getting their quarterback in the second round. Like that's a, that's great process for Tennessee. Yeah, I mean that's the the people that were saying, well, the uh, the Texans trade was for Stroud. You would say, well, the the Titans held on to most of their picks. Still got a quarterback and the eleventh overall player. Like they, they did that the right way. Mm-hmm. And this is all knowing that, like, forget <clears throat> what the results end up being for C.J. Stroud, for Will Levis, and all that stuff. It's just take the lottery ticket on a quarterback, just in case, and see what happens. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to the Atlanta Falcons. We're halfway through, Sam. NFC South time. Falcons start with Bijan, pick eight. The smoke was real. The, the rumors were true. Bijan Robinson, pick eight, the running back out of Texas. Matthew Bergeron, the tackle slash guard out of Syracuse. Probably going to be a guard here for the Falcons in round two. Zach Harrison, big long edge out of Ohio State. Clark Phillips, another slot corner. Round four out of Utah. DeMarco Helms, the safety out of Alabama. And Javon Gwynn, offensive lineman from South Carolina in the seventh round. So the Falcons did it, man. Alabama had all three of their safeties. Did they have their entire secondary drafted this year? Uh, no, Kool-Aid ah, is yes. coming back next yeah, year. Yeah. Don't forget about Kool-Aid McKinstry. It's going to be a, yeah. another first Next draft. year, by the way, is a phenomenal year for just names. Yeah, who draft. else off the top? I, there's a lot of Caleb Williams. Remember. Having said that, who was it? Uh, Tennessee? Tennessee had an undrafted free agent, linebacker from Vanderbilt, whose name is Max Worship. That's Max Worship. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a uh, yeah, a worship song, mm. something like that. Bijan, yeah, number eight to the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, don't hate it. 
Um, it's as you high don't. as I think you could reasonably construct an argument for him to go in this draft. Don't love it. I, no, I don't love it. But it, 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 it's the highest pick where you could make, you could make a, a case that made sense. Like Bijan, so, you know, the, the sort of questions you have to ask if you're going to draft Bijan in the first round, like this concept of ticking the boxes. Do you need him to come in and fix your running game? Nope. Atlanta already has a good running game. They got 1,000 yards out of Tyler Algier last year. Cordero Patterson's cooking behind that offensive line. They have a run-heavy offense. The thing works anyway. So you can immediately move on to questions number two and three. Um, Contract-wise, top eight's okay. It's Again, it's pushing it, but I'm okay with that. If he ends up being a superstar, you're paying him healthily, but you're not off the deep end in terms of giant sums of money. So you can pick him at number eight contract-wise. And then the third question is the most debatable, opportunity costs. What did you leave on the table if you're Atlanta by drafting Bijan Robinson at number eight overall? And in this draft, you did leave Jalen Carter on the table, but maybe he wasn't available. You know, maybe he was off your board anyway for character concerns. Yeah, I'm not even going to question the Carter stuff. So, yeah, you left Jalen Carter. You left, you know, the next group of edge rushers, Lucas Van Ness, Will McDonald, you know, whoever they were. You left the cornerbacks, Christian Gonzalez, Emmanuel Forbes. Um, Kalijah Kansi, you left any receiver you wanted. Like, there were things you left on the table. But, I mean, I think you can make the argument that in that world of, you know, the, the things we were debating with Rick Spielman or whatever, right? You've got the better grade on the running back and a worse grade for edge, tackle, corner, two, three, four, five. Like, how far down that list do you go on the, the horizontal board before it makes more sense to draft the running back? So I think you can at least construct the argument that, Bijan was the best pick for them to make. I don't love it, but I'm okay with it. I'm trying to do some quick math here just to just to paint a picture. I mean, yeah. Nothing paints the, a picture like math. Yeah, right. Um, that was Algier. And let's say Bijan. I mean, even if Bijan's incredible, it's really, really difficult. Uh, starting, I think your number three corner and your number three receiver are as important, if not more important, than your starting running back. Mm-hmm. And, and when I say more important, yeah, there'll be games where the running back you know, feels like he's winning it for you or whatever it might be. But strength at wide receiver three in most games and strength at corner three is probably a better indicator of wins and losses than running back strength. And so I just, I just want to paint a quick picture of what the current roster looks like for the Falcons and why, you know, how it's harder to justify this paint away um so jeffrey akuda right now and, and you do not i preface this by saying you do not make draft selections based off your current depth chart you don't i'm just trying to paint a picture here jeffrey akuda averaged uh negative war over the last you know few years so 0.06 he was 0.06 war last year okay and well below average at corner if christian gonzalez could be if he was your pick and he was an average corner, Manuel Forbes, whoever, the next corner off the board was just average next season, they would add about a tenth of a win. All right. And these numbers sound ridiculous, right? Like a tenth of a win. Is that even anything? For Bijan to be a tenth of a win next year over the, the next running back, who is Tyler Algier, Tyler Algier was a more valuable player last year than uh, Okuda because he played much better. And Bakuda was below average. Bijan would have to be by far the most valuable running back in the league next year. More valuable than Josh Jacobs at, say, 0.27, whatever it is. 
just to match what the average. So if Bijan's the best running back in the league next year, most valuable, you would get the opportunity cost value of him over Algier, say. And then, but if Christian Gonzalez stepped in and was an average corner, you would get even more value just based off your current roster, based off what you have. If, if Christian Gonzalez stepped in was an average starter versus Bijan coming in and being a superstar, that's not even allowing for the ability of Christian Gonzalez to improve and to become better or whatever it is, right? It's actually giving him a, just an average starting point. So I'm just trying to paint the picture a little bit. I think Bijan's awesome. He's a star. I am, from an on-field football fan standpoint, I can't wait to watch this Falcons offense. Mm -hmm. They were fun to watch last year when Cordero Patterson was there. And, you know, Bijan with Drake London and they're bringing Mac Hollins and the speedy Scotty Miller and Kyle Pitts. And, you know, the only question is going to be Ritter. Yep. And so, of course, there's also a fair question. Like, if Will Levis becomes a good quarterback, you're going to look back and be like, Bijan Robinson's a superstar, but the Falcons are winning five games because they don't have a quarterback and they could have taken Will Levis, right? I mean, th that, those things could come up a that's, few years from now. <clears throat> that's also relevant to the opportunity cost thing is that three of the four big four quarterbacks were already gone at this point. So they weren't in a situation where they had an Anthony Richardson to debate between or, you know, it was Will Levis. So I think it's an easier, again, it's an easier uh, decision to explain if you simply come to the conclusion that Atlanta did not like Will Levis, which is fine. Like these are, they, I don't think they're in such desperate need for a quarterback necessarily that they had to take it. They're not Houston where I think they had to take a, the next guy because they're going to have a choice of three. You got to take a pick of one of them. Like Atlanta can realistically muddle through this year with Desmond Ritter, see what he can do, and then take another swing next year. I don't think they had to take a quarterback at the top of this draft. So I, I'm fine with the Bijan pick. Like the bottom line with him is he is in this category of prospect to me where he's so special. We're talking about the best running back we've seen come into the NFL since we've been grading college. That's 2014. That's almost a decade at this point, right? So we're talking better than Saquon Barkley as a prospect, better than Zeke Elliott, better than Todd Gurley, uh, better than Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey. As good as we've seen, people are saying, maybe people are saying, maybe as good as uh, Adrian Peterson, right? We've never seen a running back like this. Uh, maybe as good as Adrian Peterson, 2007. You have to go back a long way to find a guy this good coming into the NFL. So it changes some rules. Now, the real art in all of this is understanding when to break the rules and when not to. Because if you go looking for it, you get into trouble, right? And that's the problem. But I think he belongs in that Quentin Nelson conversation of, we're so sure this guy's amazing. We're so sure he's really good that it does change the math that you know, you're doing on the back of the napkin it, or that everybody else is doing. It helps the certainty. Yes. The certainty is absolutely there. So it changes yes. that math where you do say, in normal circumstances, wouldn't take this guy above wherever. But for him, I'm willing to bend the rules. Now, as I say, it's difficult to know where that line is, right? When you do, when you are talking about a genuine unicorn versus we, we just were looking for the exception and that's how you get into trouble. And look, that's how Jameer Gibbs goes high. Yes. In, in, in a draft where there are so many questions about the actual quality of the players. And we also, this week, we saw all of the denied fifth-year options of the 2020 right. draft class and half the class is going to have their fifth-year option denied and it's going to look like wow half the league missed on their picks we might we're going to be sitting here a few years from now and Bijan Robinson is probably going to have his fifth-year option picked up and you know 15 players that were picked after him will not and it's like see the Falcons 
made the right move. Uh, but from a process standpoint, it's not just about the hit rate. It's slugging percentage. It's trying to hit. It's it's trying to reach for for higher upside. And Bijan does not have on-field upside for the football team winning games. As a football player, he has upside because I think he is special. I think he is best since Adrian Peterson. He lacks like the breakaway speed. I think he's better than Saquon Barkley, though. Mm-hmm. I feel better about the consistency that Bijan Robinson is going to bring to my run game than Saquon Barkley. And I think not similar pass catching ability, but if you really want to use Bijan as a pass catcher, you can. Very good receiver, right? Simple. He doesn't have the explosiveness of Saquon Barkley, but the consistency in both facets, I think. Yeah, absolutely. But the on-field upside as far as spinning that production into wins is not there with this pick. The certainty that he's going to be a productive player and the ability for the Falcons three years from now to be like, dude, this guy's averaging 1,400 yards a, ga- a year and 70 catches. Like, we hit. We, we nailed this. That's going to be there. But I don't know if it's the best move for winning football games all yeah. the time. That's, B- the, that's the thing. Bijan doesn't have Saquon Barkley's true home run ability, but he's a much better running back. Much, yeah, straight like, running he, back. He maximizes every single run far better than Saquon Barkley has ever done. And I think he's at least as good a receiver. He's just not as flashy and doesn't have that true breakaway speed. But on a per-run basis, he is, I think, a significantly better running back than uh, Barkley is, was. Love B. John Robinson, the player. Can't wait to watch the Falcons. That's where we'll leave it. Uh, Matthew Bergeron, interesting pick in round two. As I watch Bergeron, I think you know he's, a, he's kind of a young football player. He's Canadian. Uh, Quebec guy and I like him at guard man I think he's I think he might have some issues at tackle I like him at guard he's probably uh, you know the Falcons have both tackles locked up the only spot that they didn't really have locked up was left guard and I think they can move Matt Hennessy into center back to center and it's one of the better offensive lines in the league as long as Caleb McGarry stays with the improvement that he had last year yeah he could also potentially back up you know for the five spots on that offensive line as for a, sure as a swing player so for sure there's a lot of value there i mean you don't take swing tackles in the second but i think he's a starting guard who also does have that versatility mm-hmm. um that's it's really an underrated part of all of that stuff is, is the ability to play multiple positions along the offensive line yep. 17 game schedule the injuries and all that stuff so bergeron's a solid pick there zach harrison i like a lot at pick 75 i think he's got um, I think he'll just be in the league for a while. Like Byron Young from Alabama, I think Zach Harrison just you know plays his 500 snaps a year, plays the run solidly, adds some length, different body type to block. So I like that in the third. Clark Phillips has a chance to see the field. Love Clark Phillips. over Mike Hughes maybe in the slot. I think that's a, a realistic I'd option be, there. I'd be very surprised if Clark Phillips wasn't a good slot corner in the NFL. Like he his athleticism wasn't particularly good, but he is incredibly twitchy when you watch his tape. Really quick off his feet, stops on a dime. Like he does all that stuff that slot corners do really well. Got a good burst of the ball. Um, He's physical as well. Like, he'll throw himself into bodies. He's got that. Like, you need that as a slot guy, a guy who's prepared to play the run, prepared to throw yourself into uh, screen blocks, all those kinds of things. Um, doesn't, you know, he's pretty small, so he doesn't always make a dent in the block, but he'll he'll certainly give it a shot. Um, I, I think he'll be a really good player. Like, doesn't have that blazing speed, doesn't have necessarily an amazing athletic, athletic profile, but where he was drafted, I think that's an absolute steal. Yeah, so I think, you know, Overall, I didn't hate most of the picks. Figure out the running back thing as you want. Um, we might have been more kind than uh, we would have been in the past with a B plus for the Falcons mm-hmm. over at PFF.com. All right, man, let's go to the Carolina Panthers. 
team with the number one overall pick. Started with Bryce Young and uh, made the move to go get him. Bryce Young, number one overall. Uh, didn't have as many picks because of all those moves. Jonathan Mingo, the wide receiver out of Ole Miss in round two. DJ Johnson, the Oregon edge in round three. Chandler Zavala, the guard out of NC State in round four. And then in round five, you're saying that's Jamie Robinson? Not so they Jamie. were claiming on the broadcast. Safety out of Florida State. Quite clearly spelt Jamie, but apparently pronounced Jamie. Yeah. Not much to talk about with the Panthers draft because we have broken down Bryce Young so much throughout all of our shows here. But we finally saw it after all the debate too, Sam. Remember there was a point. You were, you were convinced that there were some handshakes in there that I mean, said C.J. Stroud was the guy. A hell of an acting job for them at C.J. Stroud's pro day. Like, Josh McCown looked like he was ready to adopt the guy after that. They were talking about when he comes to Carolina, you know, they're going to find places, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you can't fake that. They, they obviously love that dude at his pro day, um, and yet they ended up settling on Bryce Young, which I think was the correct decision. Like, Bryce Young, bottom line is, you know, predicted by the late Michael Renner, we were going to do this big dance, talk ourselves into everybody, and we're going to come back and settle on the fact that Bryce Young has by far the best tape of any of these quarterback prospects. And the fact that he's 5'10", 185, 190 pounds, doesn't matter. He's, he's the best. So I think that's literally exactly the process that Carolina went through, which is we'll trade up, we're comfortable, let's start really focusing on everybody else, see if we can construct a case that they're better. And the answer is no, Bryce Young is better than these guys culmination of a fascinating couple of years for the Panthers I think you could actually say let's say the Panthers and the Colts over the last couple of years both teams have been cycling through the veteran quarterback Mm -hmm. which we actually cited as a potential strategy a couple years ago. sure right I mean it it's uh it's not a high payout with the strategy but it can at least make you competitive potentially and let you compete for the playoffs. And I think it might if you can keep the team around them good. Like the problem with those right. teams is the team around the veteran quarterbacks has kind of fallen apart, particularly so the, with the Colts. The Panthers went from Teddy Bridgewater. They had Baker Mayfield. Uh, last year, you know, they tried Sam Darnold. They tried all of these different options, and uh, not necessarily in that order. But they tried all those different options. And last year at this time, we were, you know, remember they were hot on Kenny Pickett at number six, allegedly. allegedly. Passed on him. And, you know, so we, we always say keep drafting the quarterback and all that stuff. But also, like, a few years down the road, you might have the chance to pick number one overall. You might be able to maneuver yourself to get to pick number one overall. So maybe you don't always have to force it if you're, you know, taking the long-term swing at it. They've had a very interesting last couple of years in terms of just the process, right? I think they deserve a lot of credit last year for staying disciplined and not doing – not reaching for a quarterback at number six – in a, in a draft where there clearly was no quarterback worthy of being taken number six. They didn't grab a guy. They waited until all the way, what, the third round to get Matt Corral. Um, the Baker Mayfield thing, I think, was a solid process decision. It just didn't work out for whatever reason. Baker Mayfield had shown previous in his career that his baseline should have been way, much, way better last year in Carolina than it ended up being. So in terms of a roll of the dice, I think that made perfect sense. It just didn't work out. Same, really, with the... The, the sort of approach to last year's draft, I think that made a lot of sense. And then ultimately the decision to go up to number one. We're sitting at nine, which again has been borne out. Like if you look at the way the draft went, if they had sat there at nine, the only available quarterback would have been Will Levis to them. And if they didn't like Will Levis, crap, what do we do now? Now we have no quarterback again. So they made that decision. 
Number nine's not going to get it done. If we want a guy, we've got to do something aggressive. They trade up to one with Chicago, who clearly wanted out. They also, as they do that, deny Houston the quarterback they want. Um, and okay, it, it's not like it was without cost. It was a significant haul, and they gave up DJ Moore. But they get the best quarterback in the draft. And the way the draft unfolded, they were able to get Jonathan Mingo in the second round, who I think, I'm not going to say he can come in and replace DJ Moore, but he goes a long way towards helping that, uh, helping ease the or salve the wound of, of losing him. Yeah, it's an interesting receiving core now because, I, you know, they were really stitching it together with veterans. You know, the uh, Adam Thielen, who's getting a little bit older as their highest price price signing. DJ Chark is a one-year signing. Uh, Terrace Marshall heads into, what, year three now? And, you know, it's not great, but it's like, all right, you know, they could be, they could be okay. Hayden Hurst coming in as a veteran as well. But Mingo gives them a little bit of upside, and then it becomes they're kind of like what the Lions were over the last couple of years. They were stitching it together, and then it's like, let's attack. You know, a year from now at this time, the Panthers should be attacking. You know, mm-hmm. they're you know, drafting Marvin Harrison Jr., or they're, uh, you know, going to free agency, making big trades. But I think for now, getting through rookie season, uh, Bryce Young's rookie season, I think that's a decent group to at least uh, start off with. The offensive line is much improved over the last couple of years. Still not great, but it's solid. Uh, so I like the Mingo pick because, yeah, he was the guy we talked about a lot as size speed that doesn't exist in this draft. And it was true. Like we thought he could sneak into the top 40 or so. And that's what he did with pick 39. I, I love Jonathan Mingo. I, he's one of my favorite players in this draft. I When we first did our wide receiver rankings, I think I put him at like number eight. And I knew the second I did it that I was still too low on him. And I kept pushing him higher up the, the further we got. And I honestly don't think I ever got him as high as he as he deserved to be. You look at his tape, you, it's difficult to find things that he's not good at. And the, the only real concern is, is that his production in college wasn't amazing. Now, his quarterback was kind of garbage for the majority of that, so that's a big part of it. Um, there's also like other factors in there as well. Like last year, the guy had to play tight end for a period after there was injuries at Ole Miss's offense. There were multiple games where he had more than 10 snaps as a true inline tight end, which is like okay he's 6'2 220 but you don't want your best receiver effectively doing that so I think his production is better than it looked and you know you, the bottom line is you look at his tape you look at how he did at the senior bowl I don't see any reason why he can't be one of the best receivers from this draft and the Panthers were able to get him in the second round he may end up very quickly becoming their number one receiver yep so Mingo yeah fascinating pick there at 39 DJ Johnson uh a reach on our board from Oregon, only 50 career pressures on 786 career defensive snaps. But you're, you know, you're banking on the 4'4", 940, 261 pounds. He's 24, but you're kind of banking on his athleticism there. Johnson got a lot of buzz late, I think, as far as edge defenders go, a little bit higher than I would have liked him. I, I like Zavala as a developmental guard, guy that um, you know transferred from a small school, had some success at NC State, battled some injuries, but pretty big solid um, developmental player there yeah pretty big reach in the consensus board as well 174 which was for dj johnson yeah like 20 picks below nick hampton who the rams got what in the fifth round something like that uh so yeah pretty extensive reach for him but the chandler savala thing i mean he could start for them maybe yeah their their biggest question mark yeah their biggest question mark on that line is still left guard uh savala's not going to be penciled in as a starter day one but it wouldn't take that much for him to win that job Solid draft by the Panthers. Went B-plus over at PFF.com. Probably only hurt by the lack of volume. I always say, like, if you're going to make the move to trade up for a quarterback, do it. Great. Mm -hmm. Um, By the way, they can't draft Marvin Harrison Jr. next year. They gave up 
there first, so yep. I shouldn't have said that. Um, but the next strategy for Carolina is like get your draft picks back as much as possible. Right. Draft ten or twelve times next year as 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 much as you can and replenish that roster to offset the trade up for the quarterback. All right, New Orleans Saints next up on the clock. Get two more teams here in the South. Mm-hmm. We're spending a little more time than these teams. Brian Brissy, pick twenty nine, defensive tackle out of Clemson. We got Isaiah Foskey from Notre Dame in round two. There was an email question about Foskey that I think we can uh, we can answer perhaps on the show. Kendra Miller, the running back out of t- uh, TCU in round three. Uh, Nick, uh, Nick Saldivari, uh, Saldivari, got it. The Italian guys, you know. Mm. Saldivari from Old Dominion, love that pick in round four. Jake Hayner, there's your other developmental QB Jake prospect. Hayner. He was a hot name. Well, he's Drew Brees. He's Drew Brees, of course. He's short. Uh, the QB out of Fresno State, and then uh, A.T. Perry, the other notable name in round six, the wide receiver out of Wake Forest. Uh, Forsyth did not go to the Saints. We do need to update that. Um, A.T. Perry, interesting sixth rounder, though, for the Saints. What do you think of the Saints draft, Sam? Yeah, I quite liked it. Um, Brian Brzee is a very New Orleans Saints type of uh, player at the bottom of the first round. I think it's good value for him there as well. It's the right kind of range for him. Um, where did he end up being on the consensus board? Uh, he mine had guy, him right around 29, I think. Yeah, he was somebody that the, the sort of evaluation. Had yeah, him right at 28. 28 yeah. on a Reefs as well, where the, the narrative was kind of all over the place on him. Um, I think that's the right range for him. He's got some uh, ability to, to penetrate, disrupt in the backfield. We'll see what else he can be down the line. I think there's a potential for him to be a better NFL player than he was in college. Foskey was in that group of beige edge rushers that I didn't love in the second, third round. This guy, the, just the guys, you know, that they can, they'll get some playing time. I don't know that they'll necessarily excel. Um, and then Jake Hayner is like, Jake Hayner is a lot of people's sort of, not sleeper, but he was a lot of people's quarterback that they would have gone to bat for in that, the secondary tier. You know, once you got past the big four and then Hendon Hooker, the next group like is there somebody from that group that you really like that can be uh buck the odds you know become the next uh brock purdy and jake hayner was a lot of people's name for that i i like jake hayner um but at perry in the sixth round i think is kind of a steal i you know there were there were some reasons i think not to love him um just still. dig routes dig just the dig routes yeah dig routes. okay but the the sixth round is kind of a bargain for a guy with you know six three two hundred pounds again Fluid movement skills for a guy that big, um, I think does attack the ball pretty well. Like he's be strong as well. I I quite liked him. I think sixth round is uh, is real value. Yeah, and so uh, let me start with Brissy. I mean, I think he's got really good pass rush upside for Clemson. Uh, only about a thousand snaps in his career, which is um, former five star, uh, but didn't get to see the field a ton. And he you know showed flashes. He's not he's not good against the run yet. You mm-hmm. know, I, I, on the I, th- I don't know if it was on the main show or whatever, but Brissy, there's a there's a couple of defensive tackles historically that were, say, really high from a pass rushing grade standpoint, really low from a run defense standpoint, without putting numbers to it. But the three that came up in these comps, Brian Brzee, uh Keanu Benton, who went to the Steelers from Wisconsin, and then Robert Kimdiche, who was a you know, first-rounder a couple of years ago, yeah. as guys that... So Kimdiche did not do great in the NFL, but maybe for other reasons... I just think you have to have proper expectations for Brissy, who's kind of a longer defensive tackle who's not great at the point of attack right now, but could be a really effective 25 to 35 snap player getting after the quarterback for the most part. So um, I think that's just, you know, some perspective with Brissy's game. 
the Isaiah Foskey email that I wanted to reference, though, Stacy Jacobs emails us. Uh, your draft, I'll try to paraphrase, your draft grades and rankings seem very arbitrary. Example, the Saints draft Isaiah Foskey in 2023, edge defender, high value position, 73 on your draft board in a draft class with less than usual high-end talent, according to you. Isaiah Foskey's comp in your draft guide is a previous Saints draft pick, Marcus Davenport, who was 28 on the PFF 2018 draft board. Foskey and Davenport have almost, they have similar physical and athletic measurements, and, you know, they're pretty much the same, same age at the draft. And Foskey had similar, if not better, production than Davenport. However, Foskey played for Notre Dame, higher level of competition. So why is Foskey 73 and Davenport was 28? So it's a good question. I think it's fair. I've seen the athletic comps between Foskey and Davenport. Mm-hmm. Um, the answer is Marcus Davenport's better at football. So, like, everything was right um, as far as the uh, measurables go. They're very similar. Davenport is just a much better player. So where things differ is the the production. Davenport was actually a much better college player. Lower level of competition, but production-wise, uh, Davenport's 64th percentile pass rush grade at UTSA. Isaiah Foskey's pass rush grade is just 28th percentile against recent NFL prospects, but 93rd percentile in sacks. So he's one of those low pass rush grade, really high sack total guys so Foskey had, we'll call it empty production or false production, or he stumbled into sacks, or he's good at cleaning things up, or other people's messes, or whatever it is, or messes other people create. So Foskey's just not as good of a pure one-on-one pass rusher coming out of college as Marcus Davenport. Yeah, I mean, he also didn't see the same power that Marcus Davenport showed on film. And um, the draft guide comp, I think it's just because comp doesn't mean equivalent. Comp is just reminds me of, or plays like, or is built similar to... There's no rule for what the comp is. It's yeah. certainly not he's going to equal the guy that I'm comping him to. The comp is arbitrary. That's the actual thing here. That's the answer, too, of yes. course. Yes. Like, the, they, the comp is an arbitrary connecting of two players that are similar in some way, shape, or form, but there are obviously differences. It's not saying this guy is a replica of the player that went previously. Um, Marcus Davenport, I think, had back-to-back seasons with a PFF pass rushing grade of 90-plus in college. Now, okay lower level of competition but he still absolutely dominated in that level of competition Foskey never had a pass rushing grade above 77.5 so there's a significant difference between the two just in terms of grading which obviously is going to be some form of bedrock of what we do at PFF so that would be the answer I look Foskey he had a fine career at Notre Dame he's big and long 34 plus inch arms and four five eight forty, and there's some some athleticism to develop there for Foskey. So that's fine. In round two, there's a lot of those developmental edges. I think, you know, a few of them will probably hit as far as the second rounders go. The Foskies and Derek Halls and those guys. Kendry Miller Miller with some nice shiftiness at running back in round three. There was definitely a run on those round three running backs. That's the other argument against the Bijan stuff. Are any of these guys Bijan Robinson? No, but if any of these running backs, uh, Tajay Spears and Kendry Miller, if they become productive, are you surprised? No. It would be opportunity-driven. And uh, Saldaveri, the Old Dominion tackle, could play tackle, could play guard. He's, well, he's like a taller – he'd be a taller guard, which the Saints tend to like historically. I think he's got a chance mm-hmm. to maybe uh, step in at right guard next year and uh, compete for some tackle snaps. If uh, Not so much tackle snaps with the Saints, but probably guard starter potential. Yep. Hayner could be the steal, though. Drew Brees 2.0. Drew Brees. Not just because he's short, because he also, you know, S2 cognition scores through the roof. So there you go. You know not to uh, overweigh that 
that test. Well, I'm just saying, if he becomes a guy, like, between Brock Purdy and Jake Hayner, like, that's – you're never going to hear the end of S2 at that Who's stage. the next Brock Purdy? Anybody that's short, played a lot of football, and, you know, nailed the S2 test. Yeah. That's that's the uh, the rubric that mm-hmm. you need. Uh, A.T. Perry could could be a guy. A.T. Perry, I, I mean, Solid genuinely, the Saints. genuinely in the sixth round, I think A.T. Perry is an absolute steal. Like, he's he's better than that. His potential is far higher than that. So, when you look at the receivers, I mean, all of us, the New Orleans – receiving core is actually very talented right now because Michael Thomas stayed remember we expected him to get to, to be let go of at some point he stayed on Chris Olave obviously from last year Rashid Shahid. they still have Traquan Smith somehow they signed uh Otto overtime T.O. Brian Edwards yes um overtime T.O. and they've got Jawan Johnson a tight end like this is a good receiving core so it's difficult for a guy like A.T. Perry to actually stick and and make an impact make and contribute but i think he's good i think that's very good value um at the bottom line like the saints they needed help in the trenches and so you get foskey and, and brzee right into the mix those guys will have to see playing time right away i think they're both somewhat developmental type of prospects though there's there is upside there with yep. both guys and we'll see how how well they do right off the bat um we gave the saints a b minus uh-huh. solid over on pff.com. All right, let's wrap it up. Tampa Bay Bucks in the NFC South. It started with the next Warren Sapp. Elijah Cansey from Pittsburgh, pick 19. They go with the undersized defensive tackle. They go Cody Mock, the tackle conversion. Yeah, it's going to be a guard likely at the next level at, from North Dakota State. Yaya Dabi, the big edge out of Louisville. Uh, Servosea Dennis from Pittsburgh. I like him well, quite a bit. He's one of my guys, one of my guys there. Potential starting linebacker down the road in round five, maybe a uh, maybe a replacement for um, Devin White down the road. Payne Durham, big tight end out of Purdue, and uh, the speedy Trey Palmer is notable at pick one ninety one in Very round six. Speedy. And I really like Jose Ramirez, the edge out of Eastern Michigan, also in round six for the Bucks. What do you think of the Bucks draft, Sam? Yeah, I liked a lot of those picks. Kalijah Kansi to me is a top ten player in this draft. I. I kind of understand why he slipped a little bit. Um, but still, 19, in, in this draft specifically, you know, not a strong draft at the top, relatively weak in terms of blue chip players. 19 for Kalijah Kansi, I think, is an absolute bargain. He's not Aaron Donald, but Aaron Donald has shown that guys that have that incredible burst, get off, quickness off the line, who understand how to use their hands, which is yeah. huge can be ridiculously destructive in the NFL. The, the hand usage thing, by the way, that was our concern with Ed Oliver coming out. Like, we yeah. still liked Ed Oliver and everything, but we were we had to keep saying he's not Aaron Donald because of the hand usage. Yeah. So, Kalijah Kansi is not where Aaron Donald was with his hand usage. Forget is, was. Like, he's not where Aaron Donald was coming out with his hand usage, with his ability to defeat blocks. But he's far further along than Ed Oliver was, who went, you know, extremely high. So... I think Elijah Kansi absolutely should have been a top 10 player in this draft. So for Tampa Bay to get him at 19 is a steal. Like he he could easily be one of the most impactful players in year one out of this entire draft class. Yeah, I mean, the, the Bucks who have, <clears throat> they lost so many players. Of course, Tom Brady's retiring, but also other players up and down the roster. It was a trench draft, man. They had to get back in the trenches. You know, two defensive linemen with their first three picks. Cody Mock, who we mentioned, I think, competes right away both guard spots uh, the guard the guard spot right now Matt Filer Robert Hainsey it is interesting because it's a whole bunch of tackle conversion guards yeah on this team Gedeke 
Gedeke, who's maybe going to be the right tackle as of now. Maybe they just pick somebody up, waiver wire or whatever. But right now there's like five guys that played tackle in college or at some point in the NFL, mm-hmm. and, but are guards for the Bucks. Matt Filer, Robert Hainsey, Luke Gottecki, Cody Mock. Uh, so they're all competing for maybe Brandon Walton ends up playing right tackle. Um, so tackle's still a spot there, but Mock has a chance to step right in, compete for a guard spot. Cancy on the defensive interior. I love the fact that he's going to be playing next to Vita Vea and Greg Gaines. Yeah. Right? You've got your big-bodied guys there next well, to like him. It's like I said at the, uh, in the draft show. If you just even out the weight, it's perfect. We average, average 15 yeah. on the uh, uh, defensive tackle. You just area. average it out. It makes perfect sense. Was there a 70-pound difference between Cancy and Vita Vea? Yeah. Basically. At least. Uh, Yaya Diaby, again, you just add more to the edge room. Um, man, Shaq Barrett had the tragedy. Did you see yeah. that? I didn't see the details, but I saw that. Man, yeah. just an absolute tragedy. His uh, two-year-old, I just don't even want to mention it. His two-year-old drowned. That's horrible. Um, but Shaq Barrett's still there coming off of injury. He's awesome. Joe tryon Shayanka has not, maybe not lived up to the first-round hype yet, so you add a little bit more depth there with Yaya Diaby to go with Anthony Nelson. Um, so like a lot of teams, you, you want to have a rotation there, uh, and the Bucks needed to replenish the trenches, and they did with their first three picks. What did you make of Diaby? I thought he was he was one of those when you talk about like the upside edges he was pretty good production wise and has just a good athletic profile that works in the third you know if he had, if he had gone in the second I think there's more risk like third or fourth round I think that's it's the athletic upside yeah there. even the third struck me as just a little bit too much for him um, I was fine with him there he, he was 107 on the main board I had him as a top of the fourth I think would be better value but i mean you're sitting there pick 82 and the third is fine he's another one of these players that i think is slightly between positions there's a lot of them in this draft i I wonder if he's better as an interior guy a lot of his best work came either inside or from those kind of tight alignments head up over tackles and those kinds of things another one of these guys that you know maybe is best in that old school three four defensive end scheme that doesn't really exist in today's nfl and those it's, players don't exist because if, if that scheme except existed, this year there's there's a bunch of them this year where yeah. i got i wrote that down multiple times when i was doing edge rusher rankings like this guy belongs in a 2004 new england patriots defense yeah. and yet <clears throat> and yet here we are 2023 and they're just we're sort of trying to figure out how we shoehorn them into a modern defense that that doesn't really use that the bucks um, will explore the odd front every now and then so but he also he's also got that athletic profile like a four five forty a 37 inch vertical he is the sort of the, the Danelle hunter guy where if you're going to take a gamble on somebody ending up as a much better nfl player now his i think his production was better than Danelle hunters in college but but a guy that like that's who you're trying to – you're rolling the dice trying to find the next Janelle Hunter, a guy that can end up being a really good NFL player based off his physical profile that wasn't – that isn't that guy yet. Yeah, I mean, so I think that was fine at that point in round three. Uh, the other guy, um, Servicea, Dennis, Denise from <laughs> Pittsburgh. He's one of my sleeper linebackers. Yeah? He is really good against the run. And one of those um, remind me a little bit, you know, Zach Cunningham. I used to I called Zach Cunningham a uh, the, the Texans old Texas linebacker, mm-hmm. uh, a ninja in the run game, hand mm-hmm. usage, and you know he's chopping, he's swatting, he just knows how to keep keep himself clean against guards and all that stuff. Uh, Dennis does that in the run game, quick, powerful, just really good run game wise. He can turn and run the seam, athletically, and then other times he looks horrible athletically. Man coverage, he looked 
terrible at the senior bowl outside of like one play where he broke for an interception. He can get out run to the edge, but I I mean in a in a defense where Levante David has been by far the better player, we think, than uh, Devin White over the years, but Devin White's getting all the accolades. Dennis feels like the next guy that maybe takes over for Levante David and is just really productive and maybe doesn't get all the credit because it's not the flashiest, but he just gets the job done. He's a he's a good player for a fifth round. So, yeah, I like him a lot. Uh, Trey Palmer is an interesting pick as well. Like legitimate speedster. I think four three three was his forty time, and it shows. Like he's one of those guys where it's obvious on tape that he's that fast. Buried on L- LSU's depth chart for three years, multiple years, and that ends up going <clears throat> to Nebraska. Puts up a thousand yards, nine touchdowns. Um, I don't love him. I think there's some problems to his game, some pretty significant problems. He tries to catch everything. Not into his body, because he does hand catch them, but it's like the, the object of the game is to catch them with his hands as close to his body as humanly possible. Like instead of putting your arms out, extending, reaching towards the football, and then plucking it out of the sky, he like waits until it's right on his frame before he catches it with his hands, which is a strange... I, I'm not sure I can think of too many players that have had that uh, quirk to their game, but... You know, they lost. So he takes the Scotty Miller role. I was going to say, they lost Scotty Miller, right? Who had some of those issues himself, but is that speedster that can scare a team at all times. And again, in the sixth round, like people, six foot, 190 receivers that can run 4 3 flat effectively do not tend to last until the sixth round. Yeah. And then even uh, Jose Ramirez in the second round, he was one of the guys I highlighted as a sleeper edge. Sixth round. What did I say? Second. Sixth round. Jeez, man. Now I'm done. Sixth round, Jose Ramirez. Love it. Productive yeah. player. Explosive off the edge. Not great against the run. But I like man, this tape get, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Get him. And I, I like this tape a lot. And I didn't give it enough credit because I definitely watched it at the end of a stretch where I was like just jaded by edge rushers. Better than beige. Better yes. than beige, potentially. So, yeah. I mean, it's a, it was a good solid draft by the Bucks. They're the first team in this episode that had some interesting names in the undrafted free agent group, I think. Uh, Sean, I been looking. Sean Tucker, the running back from Syracuse, they got as an undrafted He free has agent. a heart issue, I think, that took him off most boards. Right. They also got uh, Lindsey Scott, the incarnate word quarterback who put up some absolutely he had like 63 touchdown numbers this year 58 touchdowns or yeah something like i'm that. just gonna pull them up now we gave the bucks an a minus by the way a minus for the bucks a good solid draft as they try to you know get back at it post tom brady where is okay lindsey scott jr led the nation if you factor in fbs and fcs in touchdown passes last year with 59 he had 42 big time throws his career so he started off uh, where was he before? Nichols. And then transferred from Nichols to Incarnate Word. And his touchdowns went from 16 to 59. Uh, his passing yards went from 2,000 to 4,681. His yards per attempt went from 7.7 to 10.2. Uh, a lot of just madness numbers. So Having said that, he's 5'11". If he keeps that going, he'll be throwing for uh, 6,000 in the NFL. Yeah. And 5'11", uh, that's a good backup. 5'11", 220, though. That's good. He's not, not Bryce Young. A lot more Young. weight than Bryce Young. Jeez, he's probably better than Bryce Young, directly. A lot more sand in the pants. Good backup for Baker Mayfield in that, Tampa Bay. That, uh, that coach is now on to Texas State, as Ben Stockwell reminds me, having informed me of that before. The coach from Incarnate Word. What are they running offensively? Whatever it is, is working. Keep, keep running it. Did we hit every team? Yeah. Did we remember the Titans today? Uh-huh. Look at us. 
three quarters of the way through the NFL, reviewing every single draft. What do we give them as a draft? A minus. A minus. Yeah, I think it's fine. Yeah, makes sense. A lot of a lot of love on the defensive line in this draft, and I think that's much needed for the Bucks and uh, Todd Bowles. So uh, that's it. We're three quarters of the way through the NFL. Tomorrow we'll hit the AFC and the NFC North. It might be a little bit later of start time. We get the big meeting. Ugh. Yeah. Do we mix it? Do we miss it? What do we do? I think we just yeah we got uh, do we, we got, compete head to head? Got loyal audience to 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 we'll service. Ten thirty or eleven thirty tomorrow. We'll let you know Eastern time. Uh, but we appreciate everybody for tuning in. Hit that thumbs up on the way out. Check out our previous episodes if you haven't, whether you like the teams or not. It's about our analysis, right? It's about all the fun we're having here talking about the draft. Anyway, we'll see you guys tomorrow breaking down the AFC and NFC North drafts.